Okay, a uh, bit of review before we jump in and remind everybody what this is and what we're doing. Um, it says every week, uh, one of the things that we decided to do a few years ago is to take uh, the month of May off from adult Sunday school and to um, give me an opportunity to lecture on some of our distinctives, some of the doctrines of our church that, um, that we hold dear that uh, we get a lot of questions about that maybe um, might be a little unfamiliar to some of you. Um, and this year we are tackling the, um, the, thank you, we're doing a series on covenant theology. The first week I set it up by looking at what is kind of the reigning um, way of seeing the scriptures and the story of God. Um, we looked at dispensationalism, which is, uh, which is a very new concept, um, hun- I don't know, a couple hundred years old. Um, but has become the predominant um, philosophy in the church today. And that way of viewing things is essentially there's a, there's a, a, a strict divide between Old Testament Israel and the New Testament church, that those are distinct, that the promises of Old Testament Israel um, are not, do not find their fulfillment in the church, but that the church is kind of a parenthesis to the story of history, and that story will end with the rapture. The church will be raptured up out of this story, so to speak, and then the story will pick up where it left off, and all of the promises of the Old Testament will be fulfilled in, um, in the consummation of the nation of Israel. And there's this distinct divide between, um, really, the New Testament and the Old Testament, um, if you want to just talk about it in grasp terms. Um, though dispensationalists would argue with that. But essentially that. There's, there's a great divide between the Old and New, the Older Covenant and the New Covenant, and, um, that, and, that, um, and that what I'm saying here um, as seeing it as one unifying uh, story that's heading to a, a conclusion, um, they would say that that's true, but they don't view the story that we view the story. Um, we see it all as one story of covenantal fulfillment. Um, last week, you'll remember that I talked about um, this thing called the covenant of grace. Um, the covenant of grace is, um, is, is the overarching covenant that the Trinity made to redeem the world. It began in Genesis 3.15. it will end with the return of Jesus and the consummation of all things. I suppose the covenant will never end, but the fulfillment of the covenant will be final in consummation. And then I told the story, if you remember, as um, within this overarching covenant of grace, there are these successive covenants that build upon each other, which um, find their fulfillment in this, the new covenant, which is where we are, the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and then the new covenant. And that And my claim last week, and it's the claim I'm going to explain today as we get into this, my claim last week was that all of these covenants, which which is essentially the story of the Old Testament, all of the Old Testament, all of the covenantal um, promises of God in the Old Testament find their fulfillment in this thing called the New Covenant. Okay? That's where we are. And I told you this week what I'm going to do is... 
flesh out the new covenant and not just make that claim that I just made, not just make that claim, but to actually defend that claim because that's a big claim. It's a big claim. Um, Before I do that, I want to do this. I want to speak to the nature of fulfillment. This is very important. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to show you how the Abrahamic, uh, Mosaic, and Davidic covenants find their fulfillment in the new covenant. Before I do that, I needed, I needed to explain what I mean by fulfillment. Because this is, this is what, um, honestly, this is, it's because, the, it's because um, people fail to understand the nature of fulfillment that gave rise to dispensationalism, honestly. Um, because they don't understand what we're talking about when we say fulfillment. So what do I mean when I say fu- New Covenant fulfillment? Um, New covenant fulfillment, instead of viewing it as simple as you got um, Abraham, Moses, David, Jesus comes, and all of that is fulfilled in Jesus, and boom, it's all fulfilled, all perfect, all great, we're done. Instead, fulfillment needs to be viewed as, um, a, 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 as, a, as an age of fulfillment, Okay. Um, and, and this is marked by kind of two parts, um, which, which we call inauguration and consummation. Um, so you've got inauguration and you've got consummation. And when we talk about fulfillment, we talk about that with the first coming of Jesus, it was the inauguration of fulfillment. And when the second coming of Jesus, it will be the consummation of fulfillment. Um, you could, you could, if, if inauguration and consummation, if that language um, confuses you, um, I'll, I'll, use, I'll use the language that, um, that Jesus himself used. That this is the seed of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is like a seed. This is the seed of fulfillment. And this is the tree of fulfillment. That when Jesus came, he planted the seed of fulfillment of the Old Testament. And that this thing is growing and it will become a tree. A tree of life um, that will give, give birth to all the fulfillment, the perfect fulfillment of the promises. Another way that people uh, think about this is um, the, like, if this, would be, <laughs> this would be the birth of uh, my wife is pregnant and due in October. So October 15th, if the due date holds will be the day of inauguration. There will be a baby boy there. Baby boy. Okay. Great. There actually is a child. He actually is a person. He actually is um, a, a human being, our boy. He's there. Okay. However, I think we could all agree that this is not the fullness of our son at that point. In the sense of, this child is going to grow... And it will be this strange growth, parents tell me this, where you'll wake up one day and you'll be like, how did that happen? They're like a person, like an old person with like a life and responsibilities. And they're like their own man. Where did that come from? And it's just this slow, indiscernible, boom, whoa. And so this consummation would be his, I don't know, manhood. I don't know, I mean, delayed adolescence. Who knows when that will come these days, but you know... um, I guess 18, maybe, I don't know, Lord willing. But the point is, is, is you've, got, you've got this baby who is growing into maturity and will become his own man someday. That's the nature of fulfillment. So when we talk about fulfillment, we're not talking about we're done with this thing. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that fulfillment has begun. 
It has been inaugurated and soon it will be consummated. Now what that leaves us with is this thing you'll hear us talk about a lot in the already not yet tension. We live in between inauguration and consummation. We live in that painful growth of promise. You see, what, 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 um, what, 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 the, the reason why dispensationalists um, look at the New Testament and came up with this whole new theory um, about, about Israel and the promises being fulfilled and all that stuff is because they looked at it and said, well, those promises haven't been fully fulfilled. This, this is not what the prophets were talking about. And plus, they take a very literalistic interpretation of the, of the prophecies. So when you read their writings, like they have to literally be fulfilled in that way. And they look at it and they say, this isn't, this isn't fulfillment, this is fullness. But that's because they fail to understand this inauguration consummation. And they fail to understand the already not yet tension of, New Testament, of the New Testament and of the church, of where we are. So in a sense, I'll just, I'll just use well our own salvation. Um, are, if I said, are you saved? If you're a Christian, I said, are you saved? You would say, yes, right? And that's right, you are saved. Okay, but there is also another sense of where you're not yet saved. In fact, theologians would say that our salvation is we... We were saved, we are being saved, and we shall be saved. That, that, that we have um, the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, but we don't have our inheritance. We have been forgiven of our sins, but we not have been glorified and freed from our sins. We, we have been saved, but we await the fullness of our salvation. And that's the way promise is done. And we have to live in this already not yet tension. Already the kingdom has come, to speak of the Davidic promises that we're going to get to in a moment. Jesus came and said, the kingdom of God is at hand. And we say, thy will be done, thy kingdom come. Come, kingdom of God. We await the day of the fullness of the kingdom of God. So in some senses, the kingdom is here. Um, but it's not here in its fullness. The reign of Jesus has begun, but it's not fully present here. The full reign where all things are subdued to the Lord Jesus. So it's this already not yet tension. Um, this is used um, with the language of um, walking by faith and sight. That's a good way to think of it. Right now, promises are believed by faith. Someday, soon we hope, promises will be um, will be received by sight. By faith, we now trust Jesus is Lord. My sins are forgiven. His promises are true. His promises have come. Jesus has come and he's done everything he needs to do to save me. I believe that by faith. Someday I shall see that by sight, the consummation. Or um, the um, visible, the invisible, visible dynamic that we now live in invisible realities. The invisible nature of the kingdom of God, that it is in and among us, but we don't see it in the way we see the kingdom of the United States of America or something like that. It's not visible in that sense. It's this invisible thing that we believe in by faith. Someday, faith shall be sight. It will become visible. And so we live now in that tension. And that is important as I go through 
um, as I go through the, the new covenant, it's important to understand the nature of fulfillment. It has happened and it shall happen. It has been fulfilled and we await the fullness of that fulfillment. If you press the new covenant to be an absolute perfect fulfillment of the older covenant then it's going to seem like it hasn't happened, and so then you are left to make up this whole new philosophy, which dispensational is, um, to figure out what to do with the promises of God. So when I say, and the Scripture, I don't say it, the Scriptures say it, that all God's promises find their yes in Jesus. That yes has happened. He has come, and He has fulfilled all the promises of God, and it shall come in its fullness. Okay, so that's where we're going. I want to start just with the nature of fulfillment. Okay. If you remember last week, um, I said that the Noahic covenant was more of a global promise. Do you remember that? Um, That the covenant kind of got more narrow. So it started off with Noah and his promise to the world. That's a common grace promise. Everybody, every sinner on the planet is is a benefactor of the Noahic covenant, right? Um, That's just common grace of God, that he will not destroy the world for their evil like we deserve every single day. He's not going to do that. He's going to be merciful. He's going to be gracious to the world. Things start getting particular, if you remember as I told the story with this guy, Abraham. And then that that particular covenant, particular people, uh, gave way to the Mosaic covenant where those people got a law and a sacrificial system and become, became this church-state nexus, so to speak. And then that covenant got even more particular with David and the promise that this people who have been given the law and the sacrifices of God will one day um, rule the world. Not, in a, not, not according to earthly understandings of power, but according to the powers that, the, the, if you're in the first service, that vision of power, that we will rule the world by bringing the salvation and flourishing of the world, so to speak. So the new covenant is a fulfillment of these great promises. The promise given to Abraham, Moses, and David, the new covenant is Jesus fulfilling that. And so what I'm going to show you, and I'm just going to do it with when Jesus institutes the new covenant itself. There is a moment where Jesus institutes the new covenant. And, and all of these elements are here, and I'm going to show us that and go through each one and show you how it's fulfilled. Does anybody know, when, when does Jesus initiate, inaugurate the new covenant? Last yeah, last supper, somebody said it. This table is due in remembrance of me. Well, I say it every week, and you, you may not catch it. This is a new covenant in my blood. So that's, that's the moment where Jesus surprises the world and he's doing the Jewish Passover and says, this is a new covenant. All right, we're going to go to that passage. Um, this, is, this is from Matthew. Um, I need a Bible. Hello, Bible. Thank you. Uh, this is Matthew, chapter 26. Let me read it and then I'm going to show, we're going to... We're going to exegete it a little bit and show you uh, the, these, these forms of it. Matthew 26, starting in verse 26. I'm just going to read what Jesus does here. This is obviously in the other Gospels, but I'm using Matthew's account. 
Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is, these are the important verses here. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, whether you know it or not, he just, pro- he just promised to fulfill every single one of these covenants in, in those few words. And I'm going to show that to you. It starts with the Abrahamic covenant. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Now, we take that for many for granted. But that actually was a very, very bold claim at the time. He's, he's celebrating Israel's meal. He's celebrating Jewish Passover. And he holds it up and he does the world thing. You know, the world talk in the New Testament that is emphasizing that this, these promises are actually for the entire world. Not just Israel. And so in the new covenant, he holds up and says, this cup is uh, the blood of my covenant, which is poured out not for just Jews, not just for ethnic Israel, but for many, for many. And when you go back to the Abrahamic covenant, like we said last week, what was the promise given to Abraham? That you're going to have descendants as much as the stars. I'm going to turn them into a nation. And that nation I will bless, meaning I will give my salvation, and they will be a blessing to all the nations. So the point of Abraham was, I'm going to save all of the nations through your descendants. And he meant descendants. And so then Jesus comes and said, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. And it would seem on the surface like, and this is what the the New Testament struggled with, the early church struggled with it. Hold on, is the promises for the descendants of Abraham... Or the descendants of Abraham and other people, Gentiles, who are not descendants of Abraham, right? I thought the promises were just for Abraham's descendants, these stars that would number the sky. I thought they were the ones that were going to save. What a, but now we're saying that the Gentiles, the world, the many are receiving the forgiveness. This is, this is the cup which is poured out for many for the forgiveness. We're saying that it's going to people who are not of Abraham. And the answer comes as the New Testament fleshes it out. That, the, that, that they missed it the whole time. They missed the covenant the entire time. They thought... So the big question is this. When you're thinking about the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, the big question is that, who is a child of Abraham? Who's a child of Abraham? That's the big question because the promise in the Abrahamic covenant is whoever is a child of Abraham will receive my salvation, will receive my blessing. Who's a child of Abraham? Could Gentiles be children of Abraham? They don't come from, because the Jews interpreted that as what? The children of Abraham are those who had the what? The circumcision of Abraham, who were ethnically from Abraham. Those are the children of Abraham. Those are descendants. That's who's saved. But here, Jesus, and in other places, says, no, no, no. It's everybody. It's many. This promise is for everybody. How do you reconcile that? They're not children of Abraham. This is fleshed out all over the New Testament, but I'm just going to give you a few. Um, If you want to go look, you can look yourself. Galatians, the whole book of Galatians is really about this. I'll read um, read from Galatians 3. 
Just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. What Paul's saying there is, way back when this whole thing started with Abraham, Abraham believed the promises of God and it was credited to him as righteousness. What does that mean? Abraham was saved by justification, was justified by faith alone. Grace alone. He, just like we do. He believed and it was credited to him as righteousness, okay? Paul's point is this. Just as Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. Verse 26. For in Christ you are all sons of God. Through faith. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ. And if you, this is a big statement. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. You are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Romans 2. No one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. What's he saying there? No one's a Jew just by physical descendant of Abraham, circumcision. Nor is circumcision outward and physical. Uh, Where was I? But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. Hmm. Romans 4. Abraham was justified by faith, and then Paul says, to make him the father of all those who have faith. And then when you start talking about the church in the New Testament church, Peter, writing to Gentiles, writing to exiles in the church, says this, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He's using the language of Israel to describe the church. You're a holy nation. You're a chosen people. You're Israel. Here's the point. What was missed and what the apostles and Paul and God used the Pharisee to bring this message to the world and Paul. What was missed is that people had assumed that the promise that was given to Abraham comes by um, physical descendant. Those who had the circumcision of Abraham. The lineage of Abraham. When in reality, it is those who have the spiritual, or I would say, the faith of Abraham, who are true children of Abraham. Who is a child of Abraham? Not those who have the physical descendants of Abraham, those who have the faith of Abraham. And so, if you, by faith, believe in the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as revealed in Jesus Christ and his gospel, if you share in the faith and is credited to you as righteousness, you now are a child of Abraham and an inheritor of his promises. Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. And so the promise of Abraham is fulfilled in Jesus because by faith in Jesus Christ, we are inheritors of the promise that God gave to Abraham. And that's how his descendants will outnumber the stars. It will be every tongue, every tribe, every nation. That's how God is going to save the nations through this one man, Abraham. So Jesus comes and he, is, he offers a covenant which is poured out for many. 
The second part is the Mosaic Covenant. This blood is my covenant, which is poured out for many for what? For the forgiveness of sins. The Mosaic Covenant. So in Abraham, God promises to save, promises to bless the people. But we don't know how he's going to do it yet, right? But somehow God's going to save those people. In the Mosaic Covenant, we figure out how he's going to do it. What happens in the Mosaic Covenant? Moses is given two things. What's he given? He's given the law, and he's given the sacrificial system for the law. Um, When Jesus came, they thought he was casting off the Mosaic Covenant. They just like they thought I was casting off the Abrahamic Covenant because of his treatment of Gentiles. They thought he was casting off the Mosaic Covenant. They thought they were, he was getting rid of the law because he wasn't following all their customs. And they were law, 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 law. And they thought, well, he doesn't care about the Mosaic Covenant. And then Jesus said this in Matthew five seventeen: Don't think that I have come to abolish the law. I have not come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, not, a, uh, not, not anything will pass from the law until it is accomplished. He says this, if you relax on one of these commandments and teach, and teaches others do the same, you will be the least. Whoever does them and teaches them will be called the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I tell you, listen to this, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees who were obsessed with the law. And followed it perfectly. Unless, you're, unless your righteousness exceeds them, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus didn't come to do away with the law. You know what he did? He came and he made it even worse. He came and he said, this is right after this. This is, the, this, is the, this is the Sermon on the Mount, which is his redefinition of the law. Not redefinition of the law. His interpretation of the law, which is the definition of law. Where he came and he said, Moses said this in the Ten Commandments. You shall not Commit adultery. I say to you, if you have lust in your heart, you have committed adultery. Oh, you think Moses was tough? I look at your heart. I don't care about the external. You, oh, great, you've never killed anybody. I say to you, if you have hanger in your heart, you're a murderer. So we're killing each other all day long. You think the law of Moses was difficult? I haven't come to abolish that. I've come to fulfill it. And by fulfilling it, I'm going to show you really what God meant in the covenant. But there's another aspect to the law of Moses, isn't there? God gave the law, and then he immediately gave the sacrificial system. Because it's basically said, I'm going to give you my law. This is my heart. This is my commandments. And by the way, you're not going to be able to do it. And we're going to have to figure out a way to atone for that. And so he gave them the sacrificial system and all its complexities and all that stuff. And this was for the forgiveness of their sins. However, there's a problem. The blood of bulls and goats and the sacrificial system of Moses cannot atone for sins. God was accepting it as an atoning sacrifice. We're going to talk a little bit about that next week of like, how how were people saved back then if there wasn't a Messiah and all that? We'll talk about that. But this was not working to fully atone for sins. That's not going to work. Well, Jesus, in the same way that Jesus came to fulfill this, he came to fulfill this. And that is the big part. Ultimately, the, the Mosaic Covenant is all about how people are going to be forgiven, how people are going to be saved, like he promised in Abraham. And that is ultimately what Jesus came to do. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. 
Moses' covenant couldn't fully forgive sin. You know why it's just one slaughter after another? I mean, all the priests did is stand all day long killing animals because the blood wouldn't work. And so it's just this perpetual cycle of blood trying to atone for the sins of Israel. It's just putting off the wrath. It's delaying the wrath, so to speak. Jesus says, I'll forgive it. I'm going to forgive sins. They're done. They're gone. They're no more. How's he going to do that? You know this. I don't have to spend much time. But Hebrews 7 through 10 is all Jesus is better than Moses. That's the theme of Hebrews 7 and 10. You go read it, and you go read it. It's all about the covenant of Moses and how Jesus is better than the covenant of Moses. Um, And, of course, Paul is all about the atonement of Jesus and all that. So it's all over the New Testament. I'll give you one thing to show Jesus fulfilling the Mosaic covenant. This This is Hebrews 10, 11. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. That's what I was saying earlier. These priests stood there, and they killed, and they killed, and they killed, and it did not work. The Old Testament is crying out for full and final atonement. Verse 12, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down. And the priestly priestly office is over. He's done. He offered a sacrifice that actually worked forevermore. And he sat down. My work is done. He fulfills the Mosaic covenant by coming and showing the fullness of the law of God. Not the, there's, there's three dynamics to the Mosaic covenant. Um, you may know what those are. Moral law, ceremonial law. Yeah, civil. Civil. So, um, the, these are the ceremonies of the nation of Israel. These are the civil laws. The jaywalking laws of, of Israel. And then there's the moral law. And I'll explain this a little bit more next week. But what Jesus did is he came and um, fulfilled what this was all about. And now that there is no nation of Israel um, anymore that I know there is. I, I, we'll get to that. But, but um, biblically speaking, um, that, um, that these two have been abrogated in Christ. Um, so when I say fulfill the law, I'm talking about the moral law. And the ceremonial law and civil laws. But... But, but the ones that still apply to us is the moral law. And, um, and, and so what he did is he comes and he fulfills that. And then he offers the fullest sacrifice um, to, ta- to, to, to forgive sins um, in the Mosaic law. So in this way, he comes and he fulfills the Mosaic law. So in, so in Jesus, the promise given to Abraham has been fulfilled. That I will literally save the world through you. And that's going to happen because those with faith in Jesus become sons of Abraham. The Mosaic covenant has been fulfilled in Jesus. I am coming and I will give, I will save the children of Abraham by offering a full and final sacrifice myself, my atonement, my cross. Then the final one that we see in the new covenant is the Davidic covenant. Read me with you here. For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And then this interesting thing. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine 
until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, what is he saying there? He's going back to the Davidic covenant. What was promised to David? In, in Abraham, in Abraham, I will have a people. In Moses, my people will have a law and a sacrificial system. In David, my people will reign. In that moment, um, um, when David, I mentioned it in my sermon, I mentioned it in my sermon today, um, where, where David is on the throne and it says, the Lord gave Israel rest from all of her enemies. They're completely at rest in, in Israel. And, and at that moment, God enters in and says, says to David, your, your throne will be an everlasting throne. Your kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. You will rule over all. Someone's going to come. An heir of David is going to come and his throne will be everlasting and he will rule over all. And this little brief respite of Israel where they are at peace from all their enemies, that brief foretaste of shalom will dominate the world one day. The whole world will be at rest from the enemies. The whole world will be shalom. The kingdom of God is coming. Well, we, 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 we see in Jesus, uh, there, again, just like the atonement, I, I, there's so many uh, places I could go, um, but I'll just, I'll just use his own words. When he showed up, he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. I'm here. I'm bringing the kingdom. And then he goes to the mountain, and, um, and, he, and he shares the ethics of his kingdom. And then um, and he gives all these parables of the kingdom. The kingdom of God, like I said, is like a seed. And then it, what happens is that it, it turns into a tree and all the birds come and find their rest in that tree. All the nations will find their peace and shalom in that tree. Meaning this, that it's not just that God is going to save the children of Abraham. It's not just that God is going to atone for the sins of the children of Abraham in the Mosaic Covenant, the children of Abraham one day are going to rule the world. And when they rule the world, it will bring the full and final redemption to the world. It will bring shalom. Now, um, and that's what he's promising here. I will not, I, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And you would, say to, you would say to Jesus, well, wait, I thought, you, I thought the kingdom came with you. And he said, oh, yeah, it did. It's at hand. It's here. Well, why are you saying until I'm doing it in my Father's kingdom? Aren't we drinking it now in the Father's kingdom? And it's that all right, not yet. No, no, no. It's not, the kingdom's not here in its fullness. And when it comes in the fullness, we're going to have a feast. We're going to have a, a, a better meal. We're going to drink. I, I will drink. He's fasting from wine right now. I will drink wine with my people in my Father's kingdom, and it will be in that day when the fullness of the kingdom of God has spread throughout all the world, and again, we're back to where we were. We ruined the whole thing, and Genesis 3.15, he promises to fix the whole thing. The, the fix of the whole thing will be when the kingdom of God comes in its fullness at the end of history and the consummation, and that is what Jesus is promising here, that that day is coming. That I have not forgotten the covenant of David. We will rule the world and it will bring shalom. Now, in our time, we are witnesses of that kingdom that is to come. 
We pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done, and we make the invisible kingdom visible by our lives. In other words, we begin our reign as Christians, as citizens of the kingdom, as followers of Jesus. We begin our reign. And when I say reign, listen to my sermon. If you weren't in the first one, listen to the second one. It's a good day to be talking about this because when I say reign, when I say rule, you think the categories of the world and they're all bad. I'm talking about a different kingdom, the kingdom of God that does things completely different than the kingdoms of this world that, that leads to the flourishing of all creation, of all the nations. And that is what Jesus is promising. So, okay, so I'm done. Abraham, Moses, David fulfilled completely in this new covenant. However, remember what I said, that fulfillment takes place with a inauguration, consummation, and an already not yet tension that we now live in. But the whole New Testament, the whole Jesus ministry was all about, I am the fulfillment of that older covenant. Next week, we're going to talk about applications to this theology. That's the theology. Next week we're going to look at some applications, some modern day applications. What do we do with ethnic Israel? What do we do with the nation of Israel? So is there no rapture? These kind of things. We'll talk about those things next week. So come back. Let me pray for us very quickly. And if you are not staying for worship, get out quickly. I am behind schedule. Thank you that you are faithful and that you promised and you have fulfilled and we await the fullness of your fulfillment. Jesus, you are everything. You are the story of history. You are the hero of history. You are the fulfillment. All of God's promises find their yes in you, Lord Jesus. May we worship you now rightly. In your name we pray. Amen.